Hi there, I'm Haley. And I'm Sophie. And we are your Perspectives podcast hosts. The Perspectives podcast is a graduate-run program exploring various public health topics in an effort to learn from experts in the field and the community from varied backgrounds and areas of inquiry. We explore topics within and outside of standard public health discourse, but our conversations relate to subjects that impact all of us on various levels of well-being. We're glad you're here and we're excited to learn alongside you. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself to us? Yes, my name is William Moore, and I am the Race and Health Equity Administrator for Ramsey County and also a doula and lactation educator. Awesome. So can you share a little bit more about your work specifically? Yeah, so well, which part would you like to know about, the birth work or my local government work? Uh, both. Okay, sure. So in my work as the Race and Health Equity Administrator for Ramsey County, I'm kind of really charged with, you know, helping to drive, promote and drive enterprise-wide initiatives amongst the, the entire organization geared towards improving race and health equity, both internally and externally. So what that means is creating and developing policies where um, our employees can come in as their full and their whole selves, making sure that we have equitable practices in-house, you know, amongst in- inside the organization as far as hiring, retention, promotion, dealing with racism, health equity issues, whole nine yards. And then externally, making sure that our employees are equipped and geared with the skills and tools that they need to, to really treat uh, Ramsey County residents in that same respectful and equitable manner in which we, you know, we help to drive and push uh, internally. So really the you know the idea is how can employees really show up as them best as their best selves and deliver top-notch service equitable service to address disparities that we have amongst ramsey county and all walks of life if they're not able to show up and get that same treatment on the job and so we are charged in my role and along with uh, two of my colleagues we are responsible for making sure that the internal and external impact really you know comes out for the best for all of the above and then as far as my birth work so as a male doula and lactation educator, um, I was trained to become a doula, uh, a licensed doula and lactation educator about four years ago, I suppose. And really it was an idea kind of born out of the initiative, uh, out of a, a, a initiative um, with a birth equity community council, which is an ad hoc group that meets in Ramsey County that is filled with community members, public health professionals, healthcare professionals, people all walks of life to come up with really creative, innovative ways to address birth equity issues in Ramsey County. Um, in Ramsey County, the disparities in the infant mortality rate are two to one. So for every you know white baby that dies before the age of one, two black or brown babies uh, die. And nationally speaking, the maternal death rate, black women are 243% more likely to die of childbirth related causes as compared to their white counterparts. And so this group is, you know, comes together to really kind of think of innovative ways to address both of those disparities. Now, about a year after joining the Birth Equity Community Council, in one of our, our meetings, a lot of community members kind of voiced, kind of voiced both the displeasure and also the need for more uh, parenting resources for men in our community. And they were, you know, just kind of cited like, you know, of all the, you know, we always talk about, you know, family and health services, but really those family and health services are always geared towards women and children. 
um, when we talk about a family unit, it's, it's, it's more than that, right? We have grandparents, aunts, uncles who contribute to that family dynamic, and more importantly, our fathers as well. So one of our public health nurses, actually, by the name of this Tamiko Rawson, came up with the great idea of having men to become trained doulas and lactation educators so that they could be, as you know, as a doula, as an advocate in that birth, uh, in that delivery room for our, for our parents, for, our, you know, and our, our mother specifically, which is obviously needed given by the, the, the data statistics that I kind of said a couple minutes ago with the disparities in the, uh, the maternal death rate. And really to be a resource for other men in the community. Really, the idea is to, by informing men of the birth process, making sure that they're comfortable with the birth process and welcoming, welcome, welcoming them into that space, which is normally a space where men aren't normally welcoming, you know. Uh, men kind of go to the delivery room, go to the hospital, uh, you know, often go to those prenatal visits uh, with their significant other or partner. And doctors often talk, you know, over them, around them, through them, but never to them. They're never included, right? And it's not just our healthcare professionals, but really society as a whole, right? When families talk about being excited about welcoming a, a new addition to the family, the father's always ignored, you know. As I've even heard, you know, think, you know, the situations in which dads are you're happy, they're like, yeah, we're pregnant, we're about to have a baby, we're this, that, and other, right? And you hear somebody go, you aren't doing anything. She's the one having the baby. You're not getting sick. You're not, you know, your feet aren't swelling. Your back isn't hurting, yada, yada, yada. Scientifically speaking, that's also not true. That's a myth. But that's besides the point. It, what I'm, what I guess what I'm trying to get to is this narrative that gets driven around and pushed really kind of uh, uh, drives home and, and both consciously and subconsciously pushes men out of the picture when it comes to the birth process. And so by having more men become doulas, lactation educators, we can kind of educate other men, make them more comfortable in that space, but also be there to support the family when it comes time for a delivery. And I always say that my job specifically is to do such a great job with the family before the baby gets here that I'm not even needed in that space, right? That, you know, the partner or the father is there and comfortable enough with the birth plan and everything that we've talked about to take care of business themselves and be that support system and be that advocate for the mother in the delivery room. That is so interesting and such a needed conversation. Yeah, part of what prompted this conversation specifically is that both me and my podcast partner, Haley, are interested in maternal and child health. And I did some research specifically about preterm births and just noticed how significantly men and fathers are left out of that conversation, even though it seems very necessary that they are part of that conversation. And also through reading some books and everything like that, it just became very clear that paternal health and uh, male involvement is, you know, sort of lacking in the discourse of maternal and child health. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I always tell people like, it's kind of, you know, sad, but ironic in the same space that we live in a world that which many people perceive it to be very like male dominated, but the birth space is a space in which men are rendered almost invisible and not needed. And then, you know, we always, everybody has, a, has heard that quote, you know, they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a family, right? But we often exclude half that village being the men, right? We don't, uh, you know, other than, you know, helping to create the child and maybe financially support the child, we don't look at the man as a vital, or we often talk about the man as, as not a vital piece other than those two things. When we know that 
that that's factually incorrect, right? Anybody who's well-versed in early childhood development that will tell you that for any child, the best chance that any child has at reaching all their early childhood developments is to have both parents actively involved. Even if they're not together in a relationship, both parents actively involved is the best chance, it gives the best chance uh, for a child to reach all their early childhood milestones. Again, it's not saying that they can't when both parents aren't there. But the best chance that they have is when both parents are actively involved. I mean, there's even been studies done that show that the way in which children learn language uh, from their mothers and fathers is completely different. And so to have, a, uh, you know, to, to uh, grasp uh, language in the, in the best possible way and really learn their vocabulary, it's best to have both parents. Because with fathers, it's kind of done in a way in which children kind of like mock them. Or, or, or whatnot, and, and done a very repetitive way, and with and with mothers is done in a, in a way in which mothers are like very like like guiding and directing them, and both put together, you know, help to provide a very well-rounded approach to children learning their their vocabulary uh, and learning how to speak. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, what would you consider to be the most common issues today, specific to men? The most common issue specific to men really is. It's several different things that, that are combined to really create this issue. So it's this narrative, right? It's narrative that the birth space is not for men, that you have nothing to do with that, you have nothing to provide to that space. And therefore, we don't even really teach men about uh, the birth process that much. You know, you think about, you go back to like sex ed class, you know, when you're younger, when they start teaching you in like fifth grade, then going into sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, right? Men are really just taught about their body parts, right? and taught a little bit about women's body parts, but not, not in depth. Women are taught about their body parts and then taught about the whole birth process. And really, it's really, our educational system really talks about uh, the birth process really solely as if it's like majority, the, the, uh, the majority of the time, like the woman's responsibility, right? Even if, even as it comes to like, you know, pregnancy prevention, the whole nine yards, like men aren't really like, given a, I, I don't think, giving a very, you know, a thorough education as youngsters uh, to the entirety of the birth process. And so right from the start, we kind of grow up feeling like that's not something we need to worry about. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that is something that, that, that our female counterparts need to be concerned about. And then, and, and, and then the narrative that is driven around in our communities, right? Like, uh, like I said, like I alluded to before, there's been conversations uh, and there's been instances in which men are very like proud and happy to be having a kid. And then, you know, either healthcare providers are, are excluding them from conversations or you have family, friends and family members who talk to them as if they don't have, they don't bring into anything to that situation uh, and don't provide anything uh, in that space. You know, even when it, as, as it pertains to the physical, emotional and chemical changes that your bodies go through. Everybody thinks it's just women who go through those things. Actually, no, men go through postpartum depression as well. Men get those those sympathy uh, morning sicknesses as well. Men go through mood swings as well during the birth process. But a lot of people don't recognize that and don't understand that, right? And so it's just a, it's a, it's a, the birth process I think is, a, is really amazing because it shows how scientifically speaking, like nature can really bring family unit in sync as far as the type of changes that that both partners are going through as this you know new life is being brought into the world and and growing with inside the women's bodies but we often just you know when we when we condition our men 
over uh, nine months to believe that they don't have anything to do with this process other than helping to create the child and helping to financially support the child after they're there. And that message is coming from all different angles. But yet, when, after the baby is born, we get angry at men for not being, you know, showing up more in that space. I think that is like very asinine because we've spent nearly a year conditioning and programming men, sub, you know, consciously and subconsciously that you don't matter in this space. So even though logically we know that more is needed, of, you know, needed of needed of our fathers and needed of our men in that space, subconsciously we've already programmed and became continuously bombarded them with the message that you aren't needed to 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 be in this space and take more of a uh, 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 more of a position in that space than than they typically do. And so one of the things that I really try to do is deliver that message to to our parents and our family units that the dad is just a vital a vital part uh, to the equation as as mom is the dad is experiencing things uh, other than carrying the baby uh, very similar to what to what mom is right and and it's important to understand that because you know after your baby's born you know there it, it's a lot for everybody and often we see. And I found that often a lot of times we can see the family unit kind of fall apart because of the lack of preparation for the understanding of what's going to happen when the baby gets here and how each other is going to change, how the dynamics of the relationship change, right? Something as simple as the fact that women being unaware um, that fathers go through postpartum depression and that it presents like having a quick fuse, being quick to anger, jealousy, or being aloof and distance. If you don't know that, it just seems like he's always always upset at you or wants nothing to do with the family. Couldn't be further from the truth. You know, he's dealing with postpartum depression too, and is trying to figure out how to process that and how to deal with that. If he even if is even aware that that's what it is, it's it's kind of funny. It makes me think about a story that I had with a, a client a couple of years back, and this is a story that kind of talks about the differences uh, and the amount of knowledge that both partners understand about each other. And also the conversations that need to be had as far as the type of roles that each person expects each other to play in the relationship, both before and after the baby arrive. And then also whether or not people even understand what type of, if they are actually in a relationship, right? And so I'll tell you this quick, tell you this quick story. I remember working with a family unit uh, a couple of years ago and talking with a young man, him talking about, you know, uh, his partner. Well, she was about four or five months pregnant. And he said he just didn't know if they were going to make it anymore. Um, he's like, man, I just don't know if I, I can be with her anymore. He was like, she's changed. Like, things have been so different. I don't understand, you know, what's going on. She's always fussing about, complaining about stuff. Like, we just don't, this is not going to work. And I said, okay, well, well, tell me more. I want to learn more about this. And, and maybe I can kind of help walk you through this. I said, um, I kind of asked him, you know, what are some of the things that are going on and kind of how he is feeling. I said, so let me tell you this. How he, I, I said, well. It's possible that maybe she's changed and, and she's kind of moody. I said, you know, when women get pregnant, they go through some uh, physical changes and they go through some emotional and uh, chem chemical changes that kind of affect the way they handle things. Sometimes they can be quite emotional, maybe have a quick fuse, sometimes not. Sometimes they're depressed, sometimes they're happy. They're going through a lot. Their bodies are going through some significant changes. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think that's what's going on. And I was like, you know, because again, young men aren't talked about aren't taught about this whole process from a, a holistic perspective, only from a very like narrow view of, from a male's point of view, right? 
So he just instantly but jumped all over that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's her. She's going through these changes. She's moody. You know what I mean? That's what's going on. I don't know if I can deal with that. It's like, hmm. I said, however, I said, I bet you didn't know that men go through some of these biological and chemical changes too. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah. I said, some of the things that she's going through, you know what I mean? Like you could be experiencing that. I said, so it could be that you're the one going through the emotional changes and stuff like that. And you're the one being different. She's actually just responding to you. She's like, huh? So then I went and asked him, I said, so how long have you you all actually been together? And he said, oh, you know, before she got pregnant, oh, you know, we were kind of, you know, hanging out or hooking up or whatever, you know, for about five, six months. I said, oh, hanging out or hooking up for about five or six months. He was like, "Uh, yeah. I said, huh. I said, so I got a better idea. I said, yep, it could be that she was going through some chemical changes, biological changes. She's moody and you're having a hard time negotiating that, getting along with each other and communicating. I said, or it could be you going through a lot of, you know, biological and chemical changes and she's responding to you and you're trying to navigate that and communicate better and figure it out. I said, but I'm also willing to bet that this last one may be what the truth is. I said, you two were never even actually together. You never took the time to learn each other. I said, you're kind of just hanging out and hooking up a couple times a week over a span of months. I said, now she's pregnant. And you're spending a lot more time together. And now you're finding out stuff about each other that you just, that you just don't like. And it seemed like a firecracker just kind of went off, you know, a bomb blew up in his head. And it was just kind of, it's like an epiphany for him. And so from that, from, from these type of conversations that I feel like we need to have both, uh, you know, during the prenatal period and then postpartum, you find that there are very important conversations that need to be had as far as, you know, child development, stereotypical gender roles. But then also, like, do you even understand it? Do you even know what type of relationship you're in? Are you in a relationship? Are you in a symbiotic relationship, right? Are you in a parasitic relationship? Or are you not even a parasitic? Are you not in a relationship at all? Are you guys just cohabitating? Are you just in the same space? And these things are important because our children, as we start to raise children, we bring children into the space and bring children into the arena. One thing that I was always told that always reigns to be true. Children may very rarely ever do what you say, but they'll always do what they see. And so whatever you're modeling for your children, chances are that is what they're going to do when they grow up, right? And so making sure that we have a very healthy understanding of these dynamics is important to, is really important to set the foundation for what type of relationships our children gravitate to and they have as they get older, right? And so you know, that is, you know, often how I bring, you know, you know, broach the conversation to both the, you know, the entire family union and of unit of why, why it's important to have men in the space and include them in the space, because we're doing this together. We're right, you know, again, it takes a village to raise a child. We're all doing this together. We're all needed during this process. And when it comes to my birth work, there's a stark difference between how, which, how I engage with women and engage with men. Obviously with women, it's very much a very stereotypical way in which you would think a doula birth worker would work with uh, women. But with men, there's got to be a lot of psychological work being done first, a lot of reprogramming of helping them to understand that their role is more than this preconceived, stereotypical gender role that's being created by society, that they're supposed to be removed or not as involved as 
what you would find when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it and really talk to them on a one-on-one basis, they really want to be involved more than, than they let on and more that's communicated, right? There's a series of four questions that I often ask men to really open the door to possibilities because that's what you got to do. You have to, for this reprogramming, you got to really even open the door to possibilities for a lot of men that they can be more, that they can do more in the space. And the series of questions that I often ask to them are, the first question is, what is your definition of a man or masculinity? You typically get the very stereotypical answers, right? Um, I can do what I want, say what I want, man as a protector, provider, this, that, and other, so on and so forth. Second question is, where did you get this definition or example of what masculinity is or manhood is? Still very typical answers. Maybe an uncle, father, brother, male in a community, coach, spiritual leader, whatever be the case. Third question is where it starts to get very, very interesting. And I start to really peel back the layers and you start to really kind of see a shift going on with them mentally and emotionally. Third question is, so this example of masculinity and manhood or the person who told you what masculinity or or, or set the standard of what manhood was supposed to be to you, do they live up to this standard themselves? Then things start to really get, I think they start to really get fun because you start this, in a way, (laughs) you start to see folks' world kind of crumble a little bit, not in a sad way, in an exciting way, because you see these barriers start to start to come down. And then you start, they start to realize that what I realized about human beings a long time ago, human beings, we love to place our limitations upon other people. If we feel that we're not capable or something, we feel like we can't do something or something isn't right for us, then we love to say that it's not right for somebody else. And I say that to say, because then when I ask that third question, these men begin to realize that the standard they've been living up to as far as what masculinity or manhood is this entire time or this narrative about manhood this entire time, which is very important because remember, as I said before, I led the conversation, this the, uh, uh, part of the narrative about manhood or masculinity or fatherhood is you're very removed from the parenting situation unless it's financially supporting, helping creating the baby and maybe disciplining, you know, disciplining the child. They start to figure out that the person or the or object or script or whatever that was given to them about what masculinity or manhood was, didn't even live up to that to their own standard. And so the fourth and final question is, if you told me that being part of a man means that you're, you can be an independent thinker, do how, do what you want, move, move however you want, to be however you want, why did you just tell me basically in the last five minutes or explain to me in the last five minutes that you've been living up to somebody else's definition of masculinity? or fatherhood when that individual or that system doesn't even live up to that own standard themselves. And then you really kind of begin to see like an awakening amongst folks. Cause it's at that moment that I think it happens for a lot of us, a lot of us men is we, we realize that in a lot of cases we've been living our lives for somebody else, not even ourselves up until that point. And once you're able to break down that barrier and I decide that you want to like live for yourself, right? And that, you know, that a lot of these definitions of fatherhood or masculinity or manhood or whatever are really arbitrary, depending upon the messenger or the source. 
you it begins to open up the possibilities of how you want to show up in your relationship and as a parent and as a man and show up in your masculinity for yourself. And to me, that has been a very, very useful like exercise and very useful tool. Because again, remember, as I said, a lot of men don't do it because of the standard that's been a narrative that's been driven to them their whole life about what they're how they're supposed to show up in a space and how they aren't supposed to show up in a space. Now the one we've shown that that is just arbitrary, right? And you know, this is how, how do you want to show up in the space for your partner and for your child, your your child? And here's the evidence and here's the science that says when you show up this way, when you show up that way, that this helps with the development of your kid in a positive way. You start to see them to be one of the willing to be uh, uh, have more courage and be more willing to step into that space and show up in a different way than what uh, the narrative has been shown uh, told to them over all these years. And I find that to be probably that's got to be for me one of the most rewarding parts of the job or most rewarding parts of the work. Yeah, wow. So what does like healthy paternal involvement look like to you? So for me, like healthy paternal involvement looks like really, you know, I'll say start from the beginning, having those discussions with our partner about what role do we want to play in our child's life when our child comes here, right? Everybody knows we all have those stereotypical gender roles that are taught to us as, as we're younger or whatever. The man is the provider. The man does this. The man does that. The woman, this is the woman's place. She does this. She does that. I always tell people what works for somebody else may not work for you, right? That it's healthy. Whatever you decide is healthy as long as it's not oppressive. It's agreed upon by all parties. And it's healthy for your child and it's in the best interest of your child, right? So for instance, I know, I knew a couple who the dad was actually like kind of more like better of the homemaker between the two. And the mom was more professionally driven. And there was there was like an understanding between the two that after the baby's, a baby was born, that she was the one who was going to be the career driven, like, 40 to 60 hour a week person and he was going to be the one who did more of like the stay-at-home dad type of thing stuff like that that worked for them because he was better in that role he felt more comfortable in that role she didn't she didn't feel comfortable in that role she didn't like that role that wasn't for her she would have been upset with that role that was agreed upon for them it met the needs of their family you know what i'm saying it, it was what, what was best for the child that's awesome i see nothing wrong with that can you imagine the type of friction that would have been in that house in that relationship if they had lived up to the stereotypical role of, you know, mom has to stay home and dad needs to be the one out doing 40 to 60 hours a week and providing and this, that, and other. That doesn't work for them. So because so so really having the discussion of, you know what I mean, like what what works for us, right? What is what is your expectation and what is my expectation of which role we will play? Right. And and making sure that, you know, what I'm saying like those parameters are renegotiated like on a regular basis because things change. Right. As I said, mom goes through postpartum depression. Dad goes through postpartum depression. When mom's going through postpartum depression, you know, all this thing about all relationships all the time are 50 50. That's not true. When mom's going through postpartum depression, she's just trying to hang on. A lot of people don't understand what moms go through emotionally after having a baby. 
especially when you think about when she's pregnant, everybody's doting on her. She's getting all this attention. Everybody's there to help her out, help her around, do this and do that. When the baby's there, it's like a lot of people forget that mom even exists. They only care about the baby. So now she's gone through this very like, I'll be a lovely event, but it's physically traumatic to her, right? She's Her body's changed, her emotions have changed, mentally things have changed. And now nobody's there to help her anymore uh, because they're all focused on the baby. That's a lot to go through. It's in those moments that guess what? Situation might have to be 90-10. Dad might have to be the one making sure he's getting up, feeding the baby at night, making sure the house is clean, also going to work, taking care of everything because that 10%, mom needs to focus on getting herself right mentally and emotionally so that she can be okay and, 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 and show, and when the time, and when she's better, when she's better mentally and emotionally, she can show up for herself, her baby and her partner, right? It may be that, you know, dad's going through postpartum depression, right? And he's gotta be, it's gonna be 90, 10 the other way. And mom's gotta do everything, right? Until he can figure it out and get the help that he needs, whether that be through a professional, just like mom may need to be a professional. Maybe it be that those two are still having conversations or, or friends or family are coming in and checking on him just as you would want them to check on mom. Like it's really different. Like the parental role and the role of a father really depends on that, on what's agreed upon in that family. I'm very big on what is agreed upon in the family. Because one of the things that you'll you'll find out when you talk to both parents. All parents want what's best for their children. I've never run into a situation where parents, both parents on each side, whether it's a a, a harmonious relationship and a healthy relationship or a dysfunctional relationship where the parents don't like each other. One thing that they all have in common, they all want what's what's best for their kids. They may have different ideas of how to get there, but they all want what's best for their kids. And so with that, I always try to remind the families as far as what the roles are between for mother or father. What what can you agree on to where you can both reach the goal? What, what, can, you, what can you agree on as far as both of your roles are and responsibilities in the family dynamic or the co-parenting dynamic to ensure that your kid, that your child gets what's best for he or she? And that's how I define the roles of, you know, fatherhood or motherhood. It's what works best for that, that, you know, each unit. No family is going to look the same. All of them are going to operate very differently. And like I said, as long as it's agreed upon amongst both of the partners and it's a healthy situation for both of the partners and more importantly for the child, I don't really see anything wrong with it. You know, what may look normal or okay for me or how I would feel comfortable in a family, family dynamic may not be the same for another man or another woman. So I think it's important to have that. It's not about what my necessary, not necessarily what my definition of fatherhood is or should be. It's what works for the individual family unit. Now, if it's my relationship and what I see as my personal role for being a good father and fatherhood, it is to be a supportive partner, to be a, both a present father who has a presence because a lot of people don't other understand that being present and having a presence are two different things you can be physically present but if you're not mentally and emotionally present that can be just as harmful to a, a family dynamic and a child and a partner than not being there at all because it comes across as being very dismissive and ignoring the family dynamic when you're there 
So you also, just because you're physically there, you also got to be there mentally and emotionally. So I always wanted, you know, for me as a, as a father, I would want to be there. I want to want to be present and have a presence, be, you know, supportive of my partner, supportive of my children, a loving partner, somebody who can provide and somebody who can really be there to address all the needs uh, that my family has, whether that be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or financially, however that is. It's to do everything, just as I think that is the role of everybody in the family. At any given point in time in life, at any given day, anybody in the family unit may be asked to fill a, a, a certain role or perform a certain task to make sure that the family dynamic in the unit is running in a healthy manner. And I want to make sure that A, that I'm able to do that, and B, that I'm being a great example of that for my children and for my partner. And that's how I see, that's how I see for me what it means to be a good father or or the definition of fatherhood. That's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I guess to wrap it up a little bit, um, how can students and others, and especially men, get involved in the sort of work that you do? Yeah, really, I would say, I think it starts with narrative. I think it starts with, like, really having conversations with peers and the family members that were, like, changing the narrative about, like, you know, birth work or the birthing space is only a space for women. You know, I used to hear it all the time, especially when I first started off. You're a doula, you're a lactation educator, you're, you're a birth worker. Uh, isn't that a woman's job? I'm like, no, it's family work. And family work is everybody's job. Helping to build healthy families is the job of everybody in the family and in the community, right? So really, it starts with narrative. And two, really, it, with that comes like comes like awareness. For instance, a lot of people didn't really know and understand about the disparities in the uh, maternal death rate or the infant mortality rate, even though it's been an issue for for year, for decades. Until Serena Williams went through her instance where she almost died after giving birth some years back. That's when everybody became aware that that there were real disparities like that. And that, you know, in fact, institutional systematic uh, racism in, in, in our healthcare system plays a great deal of responsibility in those disparities. So really making sure that they're spreading awareness that those disparities exist, really helping to destroy, destroy narratives about the uh, the responsibility of men versus women in the birth space, and making sure that individuals know that it is it is a it is a space where all are all are to be involved in an equal manner. And two, I would urge a lot of people really to like learn more about public health. To be quite honest with you, I feel like public health is something that nobody really paid attention to until the pandemic. And and I will say, until I started working in public health. This wasn't a space that I knew much about, you know what I mean? Uh, birth work, just the disparities in birth work and infant mortality rates and, you know, maternal uh, death rates. I didn't know anything about any of those types of things. And to be quite honest with you, even though I absolutely love my my job as a birth worker, you know, a doula and lactation educator. If you had asked me whether or not I would become a doula or lactation educator, you know, seven or eight years ago before I got involved in public health. I would have thought that you were crazy. So really, you know, bringing awareness and, and having people get more involved in learning about public health, because really, when you look at public health and study of public health, 
is really about taking a holistic approach to how everything affects uh, the health of individuals, a, a holistic approach, right? In public health, we talk about the social determinants of health. Public health is literally everything from, you know, how you eat to access to healthy food, to a livable wage, to, you know, transportation, access to, to affordable housing, mental health. All these things are important to overall human development and the well-being of individuals. And if one of those things are off, it impacts everything else. You know, it's hard to tell somebody to eat healthy, right? When they're not making a livable wage and all they can afford is something on the dollar menu at McDonald's. It's hard to tell somebody to, you know, find a job or get a good job if they're homeless and couch hopping, right? Because they they can't find affordable housing. It's hard to tell somebody to eat better or exercise more if they're struggling with mental health issues, right? All these things are so important and they're all public health issues. And so, you know, I don't know if that was very helpful or like, you know, a very like, you know, succinct, <laughs> clear pathway of, of learning about any of this. But really for me, honestly, it started with like public health, learning more about public health and awareness. It really starts there from awareness. Um, and once you're aware, if you really want to learn more, I was always taught that when it comes to education uh, and as an educator, your job isn't necessarily to save the world, but your job is to plant the seed. And if somebody really wants to, to learn, they'll foster the growth, right? They will, they will water the seed. They will foster the growth. So, so that's, that's how I look at it. And that's how I'd say, like, if you really want to learn more, you know, I, I think it's our job as professionals or people in the field to bring awareness and accessibility to the space, to the work, to the topic. And those who really want to really want to get involved and are really hungry to learn more, they will. We just got to make it possible for them. We got to make it easier for them to do so through that accessibility and awareness. Well, I think that was a great answer. That's really great advice. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we finish today? No, I just like to say, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak with you today. I, you know, I absolutely love the work that I do. I really, really mm -hmm. do. I often tell people that I, I, you know, I feel like I have the greatest job in the world and I get to travel across the country and work with healthcare professionals and uh, consult about my work and uh, do speaking engagements about my work and getting more men involved in the birth process and any opportunity that I have to really be able to spread the message, spread awareness, kind of change narratives. Um, I'm always willing to do that. So I just appreciate the opportunity. I see this as, you know, another opportunity of being able to do that, spread awareness about the work, talk to people about it. And if it's something that they really want to, to learn about, they'll definitely go out there and kind of do that. So that's, you know, that's really all I had to say. And, um, I, I, you know, I hope that whoever listens to this will want to learn a little bit more about it and start to kind of poke and prod and do some research themselves or or even reach out, you know, reach out to their local university or public health department or birth worker or public health student or, or professor and ask more questions and learn more about these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much. This was such an informative episode and I can't wait to put it out there. I definitely learned a lot, so I'll be doing my research also. But yeah, thank you. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you would like to learn more about this topic, we've attached resources for you in the description of this episode. 
Thank you again for joining us today. We hope we'll see you next time.